Okay, Leslie, I think we're ready whenever you're ready. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm Leslie. I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, Leslie Gray, that is alcoholic. And thank you for inviting me And thank you for allowing me the uh, indulgence of the attending by Zoom tonight. Uh, I just, uh, it is what it is. Um, I don't want to apologize too much, but I just really am grateful that I didn't have to drive today. So, or drive in the these dusky twilight part of the evening because I can't see anymore like I used to. And it's really, if you were sharing the road with me, you probably would be grateful that I'm not out there sharing the road with you. So, anyway, you know, the 12, I'm happy to talk about the 12 traditions. And I, I just have to say that second concept uh, sounds like a lawyer wrote it. Very complicated. Um, let's delegate this authority and whatever, whatever. And I guess it's all necessary. It probably is. But wow. So, <laughs> so here we go. You know, in the spirit of simplicity... Um, I'm here to talk about the first six traditions. I did some homework, of course, because I always do. That's just how I am. I, I don't know how long this is going to uh, gonna last, but those of you present in person may be grateful to not have me go on and on forever. So anyway, tradition one, and I'm going to just start each one reading the long form out of the back of the big book. Tradition one, each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is but a small part of a great whole. AA must continue to live or most of us will surely die. Hence, our common welfare comes first, but individual welfare follows closely afterward. And, you know, it seems to me that what this is telling me, what, what I take from it is that the group is the sustaining force behind each of us individuals in the rooms of AA. And at the same time, it takes the individuals to sustain the group. And, and the more I looked at it, all, all I could think of is it just sounds very Zen to me that the group needs us and we need the group. And do we hear the sound of one hand clapping? And, and how do we separate that out? But, but there it is, it's true. Um, I, when I use some of the, our literature and, you know, the language of the heart impressed me about upon this topic of Tradition One because it talked about the AA program as having been founded on humility. And, and what humility gives us is perspective. And that humility and perspective allows us to relate ourselves greatly to God and to one another which is how we can form a, form a group in the first place. Um, as an active alcoholic, I, it was all about me, and it was always all about me, and I really didn't give a rip about you unless you, there was something you could do to help me. <laughs> and that was as simple as that. I had no humility. I had no perspective. 
and, and I needed to learn that. And so if our tradition is that that we see common welfare through unity, that that's a whole new idea. And it, it did bring it does bring humility and perspective to understand what my part is. You know, uh, in the language of the heart, they talked about, you know, when issues threaten the group, and, and you know they can. You know, we can be a contentious bunch of people, but we, we need to learn to discipline ourselves and through maintaining sobriety, maintaining abstinence and continuing to work a program, we learn how to discipline ourselves and, and to work together for the common good. Because without the common good, where are we? Again, it's that whole Zen circle going around. Um, we need the group to function united. But the strange thing is we don't operate out of authority. You know, we operate out of love, humility. We also operate out of uh, our need to stay alive. Um, early on, I also looked in AA Comes of Age, and to one extent or another, Tradition One uh, grew out of fear. And very early on, there were perceived threats to the group in, in uh, groups of Alcoholics Anonymous. And you know, the first number one threat to, at least as recited in that book, was alcohol itself. Um, could could the group survive? You know, could people stay sober? Because that we didn't, they didn't know that at the time. You know, in a couple of years after Bill and Bob met, no one really knew what if people could maintain a longer term abstinence and and find recovery and to build a better life. It just wasn't known. So there was a great fear of could people actually stay sober and. Could could a core group manage to stay sober even some of it if it, if some of its members wandered off to get drunk again? You know, today that seems like a laughable question because we know that that can happen and it does happen. You know, there are a core there are people who stay sober and it really people who come and go and and we're very used to that, but trying to teleport ourselves into time you know and another issue that they mentioned specifically which I never thought of but I guess that's why we read books to learn was was sex and what they called the out-of-bounds romance and you know that as we know that can blow up a group as well you know some contentiousness over over matters like that um, According to that, the founding of Al-Anon helped, you know, that there was some ability for the non-alcoholic partners and family members to uh, begin to find their own way as well as allowing the alcoholic to find their own way. But, you know, the bigger threat always to us as, as alcoholics is power, money, the desire to dominate others and that's what a lot of the rest of the traditions are built off of is for us to quell put those urges off to the side or have some guideposts whenever we our natures want to tread us into those areas but again you know the basic understanding or what i take from reading this and, and the reading i did and i looked at language of the heart 
the 12 and 12 and AA comes of age throughout all of this is that I need the group and the group needs me. You know, I need you, you need me to show up. And, and as a sober person, I, I need to keep coming back if for no other reason just to be myself and that I haven't had a drink today and to say that because someone needs to know that, you know, among our group. So that that's that's all that that's tradition number one. You know, um, it, it's very simple and straightforward, I think. And then tradition number two, where the uh, paradox is that is that the short form is longer than the long form. So I'm going to give you the short form, which is longer than the long form. Tradition two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority. A loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. And now every time I read that, I think of our friend Devlin G, who talks about but trusted servants. And it's, you know, we get to be senior citizens and draw our social security. And yet we still act like like junior high teenagers, you know, on the, on the playground coming up with this dopey stuff and, and to laugh about. But anyway, I, I, I use the language of the heart, you know, because to look at mostly, um, and it talks about tradition too like this, and, and it really helped me understand it. So I'm going to just share what, what I understand with you. As individuals, you know, we come to depend on God. As we stay sober, we, we come to depend on God to not take a drink today, to guide us through our, our lives, our daily decisions, our daily moods and ups and downs. And, you know, when you look at the big book, it talks about, you know, pausing when agitated and allowing God to direct our thoughts and allowing God to discipline us in the way we live so that we can live to better purpose. And God becomes a source of positive direction for the individual. And, and similarly, you know, God is the source of positive direction for our groups. You know, the AA group, Similarly, you know, as we develop consciences, consciences as we stay sober, have better contact, act with a higher power, our God, as we understand God, and develop a conscience, develop a moral compass, develop a a way of thinking through problems and resolving issues. So does the group. You know, together, we can we approach it. It's it's a bit one and the same. Um, but similarly, the group is an aggregate then develops a conscience. And, and the source of what, whatever that authority is that's needed to operate our groups and serve the membership comes from that conscience. It, it's, again, it's, as I was reading this, it just kept coming to my mind of just kind of the Zen of the whole thing that. You know, I, I grow a conscience, you grow a conscience, together our consciences inform each other, and when we talk to each other, we have a better chance at coming to a right conclusion than me just talking to myself 
And uh, I've heard that referred to many times as one a-hole talking to another if I just keep my own counsel and never share my thoughts with you and ask, ask for what your opinion is or what your experience is. And the group conscience works like that. Um, just like we grow by trial and error, our groups grow by trial and error. You know, we try something, we, if it doesn't work, then we talk about it and we change it. And a healthy group can do that and can acknowledge that. Um, the group conscience um, can be redetermined, it can be refined, but it, the main benefit is the aggregate of the experience and wisdom of the individual group members you know, weighing in and thinking through and contributing to the conversation. Um, the, the individuals, the individual group members can, will carry out the tasks that the group decides needs to be done. You know, that the group decides there needs to be a secretary and you should do blah, blah, blah. And the individual executes that, you know, executes that plan. I hope you understand. I don't know if that's a bad choice of words, but execute really means to carry out the the directions of of the group. You know, so that the secretary then uh, gets chair people and makes sure that there's literature on the table, and the treasurer collects the money and deposits the money and pays the bills and and disperses it in the ways directed by the group conscience. Um, the, and that's what makes, you know, those, those, quote, officers, those authority people, that's what makes them servants of the group because the group determines what the tasks are and the individual servant carries out those, those tasks, um, thus making them trusted servants rather than bosses. Um, I, I didn't like boss as much, you know, when I came into the rooms. And there's a lot of times I still don't like boss as much. And I heavily resist anyone telling me what to do most of the time. You need to persuade me. You need to show me why this makes sense. And, and the fact that I can listen with an open mind is a tribute to AA because that's among the skill sets that I learned by participating in AA groups over the years was to hear out other people what they have to say add my thoughts to the mix and see what comes out of it and, and it was a very important skill to me to learn how to um, just abide by the vote of the group I don't always agree with what the group decides that's a fact of life I don't always agree with what with the bigger group outside of AA decides, yet I need to live with the vote. And, and in my work life, we made, I, I worked in a capacity where we made decisions as a group. Those decisions were arrived at by vote. And there too, there were times I was on the, the quote losing end, or let's call it the minority point of view of that vote. And yet that decision became mine because I abide by the process and, and truly that's a skill I learned in the rooms of AA and I, I don't know if I would have had it before uh, before I came to the rooms but that's an important skill you know to be to be a gracious uh, a victor and, and a gracious uh, non-victor you know to lose well and to win well are two two 
very important skills and to not have a, a decision that we may disagree on divide us permanently. Um, some things we have to stand on, but some things just don't matter. And sometimes I find out that I was wrong and that the group had it right, even though I held the minority view. So I, I need to understand that it's really God who's guiding us all and guiding our thoughts. And that when we put our heads together, that's really God showing us how to go forward. Um, tradition three. This is our this is a big catch-all. This is a tradition three says our membership ought to include all who suffer from alcoholism. Hence, we may refuse none who wish to recover. Nor ought AA membership ever depend on money or conformity. Any two or three alcoholics gathered together for sobriety may call themselves an AA group, provided that as a group they have no other affiliation. And this is this is our open door. This is AA's open door to anyone who has a desire to stop drinking. Um, it's it's a voluntary voluntary thing. So I mean, it answers the question: Who is an AA member? And the answer is anyone with a desire to stop drinking. You know, and when does a person become an AA member? And the answer to that is whenever you say so. For as long as you say so, until you decide to say otherwise, if indeed you ever decide to say otherwise. It, it's, so, it's so simple. Um, uh, the materials I read in Language of the Heart and, and AA Comes of Age and, you know, what I've come to know just from, from being here is that we are the biggest tent in the world. We have everybody here. No one can be booted out. Uh, everything, you name it, we we're we have them among us. And you know, when I was very new, I was told that I should stick around. That this was the greatest show on earth, and it's true. I have never been disappointed. I have never been let down, and I have always been. I, I don't know when the day I'll run out of a surprise of who is the next one to roll into the rooms and we'll just say hello and how you doing? You want to not drink today? You're in the right place. And that's, that's uh, it's part of our unity of purpose. It's part of our, our open door, you know, to recognize that uh, what we have um it is special. Um, I, I actually I made some notes and I'm departing from them now because I do that. So what the heck, you know? But the history of those exclusion, you know, in early on, if you've read anything, you know. And if you haven't read anything, let me tell you, there was there was a time that there were rules to exclude people, and again, it was based on fear, just like tradition one. You know that fear. Are we going to be able to make it? Are we going to be able to stay afloat? And when you read the, some of the writings, it's almost laughable, especially the parts that are talk about, like, crackpots and fallen women. I mean, like, I, they, I wouldn't have been allowed in. So, and probably everybody, because all you guys are a bunch of crackpots in the first place. So, it's, it just is what it is. We would have excluded everybody. And it was fear. 
And what experience taught us was that we're best off not making that decision for each individual person to let them decide if they have a desire to stop drinking and if so come on in and and stay as long as you like stay until the miracle happens we tell people that all the time but um there's no dues there's no fees there's no barriers you know there's no barriers to entry whether it is status financial anything um I've heard it said, well, anyway, I'll I'll leave that out. Anyway, and and I want to mention, too, you know, a member, we we talk a lot about outside issues, you know, the famous outside issues. And, you know, I've been participating in Alcoholics Anonymous since 1981, and there's always a controversy about outside issues, what you call them, how you draw the line, what belongs. You know, we've gone from alcoholic to dual addicted to cross addicted to, I, I, you know, whatever. You know, just it, it, the thing that's so funny to me, and, and I see like, you know, Judy is laughing and Helen is smiling and it's just because this is the same stuff. You know, it's like meet the new boss, same as the old boss, and the beat goes on. Here we are. But actually, Bill Wilson addressed that topic. He wrote a pamphlet about problems other than alcohol and that addressed his, his thoughts to that. You know, and when we say that the desire to stop drinking is the benchmark, we mean that. That doesn't mean you have to be a pure alcoholic. It means you have to have a desire to stop drinking, that alcohol has negatively impacted you to the point you have a desire to stop drinking. Now, if you have other problems on top of that or you abuse other things on top of that, that doesn't mean you don't have a desire to stop drinking, or at least that's how I read Bill, that you have a place in Alcoholics Anonymous. It, it, you just don't, you're outside issues we can't help you with necessarily. What we can do is is love you, help you not take a drink today, and maybe offer you some direction to where you might find the rest of the assistance, you know, the, the companion program that, that may be of service to you. There, there's been some conversation about this in the past couple of months in, in Central Committee about, you know, do we help people? And you know, it, it brings the question of, um, I'm totally winging this here in case you can't tell, but, you know, it, it brings the question of maybe, uh, hopefully AA is not arrogant that we think we're the only game in town or that we doubt that there are people who have made good recoveries in other programs and have something to offer, you know, have a stability to offer as well. You know, over the years I've been in, it's been said that maybe at one time was true that the longer term recovery was not available in some other programs. But years have gone by, I'm guessing, you know, that may not be true anymore. That there's, you know, if there are solid people in you know our sister fellowship and i'm thinking namely narcotics anonymous then why not direct people to to that 
program to help them address that issue. You know, we're, we're, we don't pretend to be a be-all and end-all. We offer a 12-step program and use it to, your, to the best of your ability. And if we can help you find your way otherwise, then, then let's, let's us do that. Um, but, you know, Bill Wilson talked about our singleness of purpose, and Bill Wilson talked about people, you know, and, and, and just to add this, it seems to me there's a lot of confusion, so I'm going to just blather on a moment and address this. You know, sometimes people will say, but we can't throw people out to die. That you know, and, and I'm gonna. Uh, what I, my my response to that is, we're not. You know, this. There are mem meetings that we call closed meetings that are limited to members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Everyone else in the world is welcome at our open meetings to sit in, to listen, to look at our literature, to figure out whether or not they, they are one of us and should declare themselves to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Those open meetings are a place where we bring our friends, our families who are not alcoholics. It's a place we invite medical people to come in and just observe and see what we do. We invite law enforcement to attend. We invite everybody. We invite our ministers, all of them, all of the above. Anyone who is part of the community, they are welcome. So saying people cannot, uh, do not belong in a closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous because they cannot cross that bridge or decide they just don't fit the, the definition of having a desire to stop drinking does not mean we've thrown them into the snow. It means they can't come to a closed meeting. They are a thousand percent welcome to the open meetings and to listen, read, learn, talk to people and decide exactly where they belong and maybe gather information to find the help that they need. So I guess that's my soapbox lecture, my stump speech on closed meetings, open meetings and... <laughs> So maybe it's up to us as, you know, sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous to explain the difference between those meetings and how, what that means to people and how we can be of use to those who uh, can't, uh, can't or not able to declare that they are among us. But yeah, we are. The, and I want to say, you know, some of those special purpose groups, just a word about that. You know, I participate in a lawyer's meeting, but it's not an AA meeting. Because as a group, we have an affiliation. We're attorneys. We, you know, it's it's as simple as that. I, I'm aware of meetings. You know, nurses have meetings. I have heard of badge meetings for people who are members of law enforcement, um, but they're not strictly AA meetings because people have a separate affiliation. And you may or may not be familiar with the uh, Live and Let Live meeting in Erie, which identifies itself as a LGBTQA friendly meeting. And uh, I, that means that's a safe place for our gay friends to attend a meeting. But they add in that format of that meeting, but all members of Alcoholics Anonymous are welcome. So they self-describe as a third tradition closed meeting with a focus and a safe place declaration for you know LGBT uh, members 
So basically, if you're uncomfortable with gay people, find a different meeting. But if you're an alcoholic and need a meeting, come on in. And, and it's okay. So that that's why that group is a AA meeting. Because as a group, they don't have an affiliation. They just declare that there is a safe place. So I guess I've kind of, I really babbled on about that. But anyway, I got that off my chest. I certainly feel better. I hope you all do. I hope you all do too. But here we go. Tradition four. With respect to its own affairs, each AA group should be responsible to no other authority than its own conscience. But when plans concern the welfare of neighboring groups, those groups ought to be consulted. And no group, regional committee, or individual should ever take any action that might greatly affect AA as a whole without conferring with the trustees of the General Service Board. On such issues, our common welfare is paramount. You know, on the face of it, it sounds almost like it's a full clash with that second legacy, that, that legalistic legacy that uh, was read for us, but not so much, maybe. You know, again, that's part of the Zen of AA. You know, we have these things that look like they clash, but they don't. Somehow among us, they make sense. And I think because underneath it, it's the, the voluntary nature, it, it's the humility, it's the, the spirit-centeredness of our program. But basically, each AA group is free to run itself as it pleases, provided no harm is done to another group. So, you know, your format, the prayers you choose, how... How long you run your meeting? If you can get people to stay for a three-hour meeting, God bless you. If not, then, you know, the traditional one hour seems to do, and people start getting antsy and leaving after an hour and ten minutes. But um, but that's okay. You know, in, in the reading, in uh, the language of the heart, I, I think it was language of the heart, it talked about, they called it, was this foolishly dangerous? Because we alcoholics are natural rebels. Um, he, Bill described us as children of chaos. And he's such a wonderful wordsmith. He's, he says things so beautifully, and it's true. And, you know, I, I am, again, I, I'm a senior citizen. I, I've been in the rooms a long time, and I still don't want to be told what to do. So uh, that group autonomy is very important. Uh, one example is, you know, our, our traditions are guardrails. You know, this tradition is a guardrail. We, we could, there's a lot of room in, in, in between this uh, tradition, but we can't do anything to hurt AA as a whole. And we can't do anything to affiliate ourselves beyond AA. Things like hospitals or psychiatric treatment or anything. You know, we are about AA in the 12 steps, and that's what these groups offer. We present the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what we do. Um, now, whether we say the Lord's Prayer at the end or recite the responsibility statement, that's, that's a group choice. Whether we're a discussion or a speaker meeting, that's a group choice. Um, so there, there's a lot of wiggle room, but you know, 
is this starts us trekking into that singleness of purpose as well, that non-affiliation, you know, non-affiliation with medicine, non-affiliation with psychiatry, um, non-affiliation with religion. It starts bringing us a little towards that singleness of purpose idea. But sobriety is the sole objective of the operation of an AA group, is physical abstinence and decent, sober living. That's what we're here for. The tradition allows groups flexibility. It even allows groups to disregard or adapt certain principles of, of Alcoholics Anonymous. Again, provided we are not creating harm beyond to AA as a whole or impacts beyond our group. Now experience, like the group conscience, sometimes the experience can be adopted. If you know some innovation works, then, other, then it works. If it helps people get sober, if a shorter meeting helps, if, you know, whatever. You know, there are as many people as there are, there's as many imaginations, and we all have a higher power helping us think things through. But uh, what, what Bill wrote, you know, to be open and flexible to some modification in how we do things. Not the, not the concept behind it, but how we approach presenting our program. It, it pre presents AA. This is, this is from AA Comes of Age. I love Bill's wordsmithing in case you can't tell this already. He said, It'll pre this kind of flexibility will prevent AA from becoming a frozen set of dogmatic principles that, would, that couldn't be changed even when they were obviously wrong. And, you know, that's where some of that humility comes in is being a little flexible and being willing to learn from our experience you know and as a person i wasn't willing to do that before i got sober i didn't have the ability to do that i didn't have the ability to learn from my mistakes as a drinking alcoholic and you know aa has some principles to remind us that we can learn from our experiments and and take the good part and still serve the purpose and as far as no authorities, Bill was very clear, we have two authorities. We have a loving God who has us in his care and wants us to live well and be happy, joyous, and free. And on the flip side, we live under, we always live under the lash of alcoholism and the death sentence that we all face if we keep drinking. It's as simple as that. It's... It's God's love drives us one way and an alcoholic death drives us the other way. So there is no person in power. And the other point I wanted to mention is that as far as this authority thing, the autonomy, the limits on it, no group can seek publicity that would harm AA. And None of us, none of our groups can purport to represent ourselves as the spokespeople of AA. You know, we just can't wander off the reservation and say we speak for AA as a whole when we do blah, 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 blah. So, you know, we have, uh, we children of chaos, we do what we do, don't we? So, number five, each Alcoholics Anonymous group 
uh, to be a spiritual entity having one but one primary purpose that of carrying its message to the alcoholic who still suffers and so here we are at the singleness of purpose we we do one thing i think to quote terry we do one thing we do it well and that is we carry the aa message as alcoholics we have the ability we have the blessing of being able to assist problem drinkers as few others can you know we can have the we are blessed with the ability to identify with fellow sufferers uh, fellow sufferers and to bring recovery to them to a newcomer just by being ourselves just by telling what we used to be like what happened and what we're like now that that's a blessed ability and i was listening to a speaker recently i wish i could remember who is like a properly credit who mentioned a different speaker some conference speaker i know i heard her but you know like mother teresa couldn't do that she marveled at that she helped all kind of people she couldn't help that was jennifer okay <laughs> couldn't help alcoholics yet we can that's our purpose that's our blessing and and i guess you know by recovery we we owe it to our higher power and to others to use that it's a sacred trust uh it's and, and to remember this is a matter of life and death You know, alcoholism is really a matter of life and death, and I don't think that's being over dramatic. Anyone who's been in the rooms for anything more than five minutes, we become aware people die of our disease. We all know someone who came into the rooms and didn't make it and died from our disease. This is no joke. This is no Saturday night party. This is this is real. You know, in the language of the heart, Bill talks about we are people who are living on borrowed time by the grace of God. So we have to give it away to keep it. And so, what does that mean to new? What does that mean? We owe newcomers. It's really very simple. We owe newcomers a fair presentation of the program of recovery. We owe it to them to describe and describe the steps and explain how we take how we took them. We owe them uh, some direction to the literature of the program. Point out where they might find it, how they might read it. Maybe we can read it along with them. Um, we can share on the traditions and the principles, and we all we begin all of that by sharing our personal stories. That's what we have to offer. So we don't do psychiatry. We don't do job seeking. That's not what we're here for. Maybe we casually do that, but that's not our purpose. Any of that other stuff is incidental. We are here to carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is to tell a newcomer what happened to us and how we got better, and show them how it can work for them. Point them to the resources. It, it's so blessedly, beautifully simple. But uh, but but that's kind of that. So that's why meeting topics. That's why we don't talk about manic depression. That's why we don't talk about fixing your car. We talk about facing life on life's terms. We talk about not picking up the next drink. How do we get past that urge? Um, that's what we do, and. Uh, that doesn't take anything but some lived experience oh my god 
I didn't realize I was talking so long. Oh, my God. Well, I, let's cut this show on Tradition 6 about not endorsing, financing, or lending our name. You know, that to me was just the corollary and amplifying Tradition 5. You know, so we carry the message of AA. We don't open hospitals. We don't run businesses. We don't start media empires to carry our message. We meet person the person face to face, you know, and I I can point you to the literature, uh, you know, some of the horror stories, but AA has influenced many, you know, other programs and treatments and hospitals, and it's mainly because we stick to our own business and we don't endorse finance or lend the AA name. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. That's it. So if any of you have questions aside from when will she ever shut up? Please, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, great job, Leslie. Hope you got something from this. <laughs> thank you, Leslie. Yes, we were all uh, we were all enjoying hearing you speak on the, the traditions tonight. So we do have time for a couple of questions. Uh, if anybody here in the room has a question, raise your hand. I'll get you the microphone. Or if you're on Zoom, just go ahead and speak up. All right. Hi, Leslie. Ryan, alcoholic. Hi, Ryan. Uh, for Tradition 3, the membership, desire to stop drinking, how would you summarize the difference between someone that says, Hi, I'm Ryan, I'm an alcoholic, and says, Hi, I'm Ryan, I have a desire to stop drinking? Like, what, What's the main difference there? Well, I, I don't know. As far as AA membership, there isn't any difference. Because you become an AA member when you formulate a desire to stop drinking. And I guess it's a depth of your understanding of yourself and, and how you wanna what you wanna call yourself. We all call ourselves alcoholics, but it's kind of tradition and custom among us. Um, for me it was an acceptance of, of my condition. But a desire to stop drinking is enough to join the club, and I guess we see what happens from there. Who else has a question? You know my goal is always to out-talk Kevin's question. So So help me out here, people. Hi, Leslie. I'm Jennifer. I'm an Hi, alcoholic. <laughs> um, this is just came to me. Uh, you did a wonderful job. Thank you so much. Um, very illuminating, really helpful. Um, spot on. Uh, can you tell me how an example or how one, one group can affect another group in a negative way or damage AA as a whole? You know, I, I, I you know, the examples I read, and I, I've really not seen anything so much, uh, but perhaps by holding themselves out as spokespeople for AA, maybe by disregarding the traditions and you know demanding that you don't need to be an alcoholic to be a member of that group. Um, by misusing or misapplying the closed and open meeting concepts. That, that may be a way. Um, 
it's really kind of hard because I, you know but that's what comes to my mind um, maybe someone does <laughs> launch a radio hour or a podcast and identifies yeah. themselves as members of AA those are things that we can certainly and in today's world and the availability of technology you know that's easy enough to do so we have to mind ourselves but I guess a group could certainly do that hey let's go to the you know Thursday night legacy group radio hour and put ourselves on the airwaves and you know just blow it all sky high thank you thank you thank you does Leslie want to head that up that that radio hour <laughs> Someone else have a question in the room? Do we have any other questions? Kevin. Oh, damn. Go on. Hi, Leslie. How are you? This is Kevin. Uh, okay, Kevin. You know, I guess I failed, you know, but... You failed, but that's time. okay. We're we're close. We're real close. Anyway, I just wanted to thank you for, for not coming out and actually sharing with us. I think it worked out really well. Uh, it's a pretty tough night out, and uh, I appreciate you suiting up and showing up and, and sharing the traditions with us. Um, my question is... When when you first started coming around and you started listening to these, you know, I don't know if they read the traditions at the meetings that you went to. Um, I know for me when I first started coming around, the, the traditions seemed like like how do they apply to to me? How do they? Because everything was about me, number one, and then number two was how do they really apply to the the, the meeting? and me, or me and the meeting. So um, I just wondered, like, when you're working with people and you've taken them already through the steps, uh, do you take them through the traditions also, and do you do it with the same intensity or uh, diligence that you do with the steps? I, I, I don't. I mean, I've never sponsored someone, someone and worked you know, work them through the traditions. I, I, you know, to the extent I share that, and I do try to, it's more organic, you know, as problem as issues come up, and you know, things need to be resolved in and among groups, or some, you know, a, a sponsee wants to do X, Y, Z, and we can say, oh, well, that's not going to work because of the traditions that. And, and that's that's the teaching moment, but um, it, it doesn't. You know, we don't. In a lot of meetings here, we don't read all the traditions all the time at every meeting. I think that's a mistake. But again, that's my opinion. And groups are free to run their meetings as they see fit. But um, I don't do a formal anything like that. What I do is encourage the reading and as organically as possible. Uh, work to apply them in my own life and in my life as a group member. Hopefully that, that answers your question without follow-up. <laughs> well, I think that does it for time, so thank you, Leslie.
Next week, Ryan's going to take us through concept two. <laughs> no, actually, next week we're going to have uh, next week we're going to have Terry covering. Uh,